Welcome to your afternoon. It's Rob Port here on 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. Boy, we got a lot going on in the news. Senator Al Franken. Well, I think the headlines everywhere that Senator Al Franken announced his resignation, he really didn't. Uh, he announced that he's going to resign a couple weeks down the road. I, I want to comment more on that. I think that's very, very important what just happened there. Uh, later in the program, coming up at 1 o'clock, uh, we're going to just uh, talk with Bill Prentice. He's the CEO of Meridian Energy. They're the ones building that, you probably heard about this, uh, building that refinery near Theodore Roosevelt National Park over in western North Dakota. Um, they just got a draft permit that's going out for public comment. You're probably going to be hearing a lot more about this project in the weeks to come. Uh, we'll talk with him about that. Uh, we'll do the rundown at 1.30. Uh, Kyle is uh, going to be our Natil today. Kyle, how's it going? I'm doing well. Yeah, Natil's out. Kyle's in. And uh, all right, let's talk about Senator Franken. First of all, I don't know how many of you watched that speech. Honestly, I, I thought it was pathetic. I thought it was self-serving. Um, he's not. He's he's denying everything. Still, I I mean that that's. It's funny that that a lot of people have given you know Franken credit, right? I mean the Democrats this week all of a sudden decided uh, that they were all going to call for Franken's resignation. I think that was a transparently political maneuver. Why they waited, I mean, if, if it's if it's all believe the women, et cetera, et cetera, they waited till the seventh accuser came forward before any of them came out and, and demanded for his, his resignation. Then they do it en masse. And if you don't think that has everything to do with what's possibly going to happen next week with Roy Moore in Alabama, then I got a bridge to sell you. I think Democrats knew that they had to do something about the Franken situation in order to get the moral high ground if Roy Moore gets elected to the United States Senate in the Alabama special election. They knew they had to do something. And so this is the thing that they did. And it's worth noting that Franken didn't resign today. He said he's going to resign at some nebulous point in the future. He says he's going to resign weeks from now. And that does a couple of things. First of all, that puts him well past the Roy Moore election, the Alabama special election. That's Tuesday next week. So so possibly he's thinking that, that some of the calculus, some of the politics around all this may change. Maybe that allows him to keep his United States Senate seat. More on that in a moment. This also puts him past the next tax vote. The House and the Senate are working on reconciling the bills. If there are significant changes to the Senate version of the bill, then it's got to get approved in the Senate again. That means another Senate vote on the tax bill, and Franken will still be there for it. The other thing it does is it puts it past in well into next year as well. So we get past the holidays, we get past the next year, maybe the news cycle moves on. I think what Franken did today was not so much resign as give himself some wiggle room. I think it was a political maneuver. I think the whole thing was stage managed from the get-go. I don't think all those Democrats who are suddenly calling on him to resign, I don't think that was a spontaneous thing. Senator Heidi Heitkamp and all the rest of them getting together, and all of a sudden now they're calling for, for Franken to, to resign. They all just decided to do it on the same date. That doesn't just happen. That was stage managed. So they all do that. They all call him to, on him to resign. He says he's going to make an announcement today. But the announcement, you knew it was going to be defiant. Because people who are resigning in shame send out a press release. People who are going to go down swinging, they give a, a speech on the, on, on the floor of their chamber. 
And that's what he did today. He gave a floor speech. And by the way, if you, if you missed it, you want to see the whole thing, I got video up at sayanythingblog.com. You can check that out. But what he did is he went into that floor speech and he didn't resign. He announced that he's going to resign at some point in the future, weeks. Didn't give a specific date. Didn't give a specific timeline. It's all very ambiguous. And, and again, I think that's by design. That gives Franken some wiggle room. He could stay around for a while. If the, if the Democrats still need his vote, he could stick around. He could cast that vote. He also has the opportunity to maybe decide he's not going to resign after all if the political winds shift because this is an extremely fluid situation. Is the Me Too stuff going to last past the holidays when the news cycle goes dead? Who knows? If Roy Moore gets elected to the United States Senate, does that change the political calculus around some of these decisions? It could. I think what Franken has done is he's bought himself some time to see if there's a way that he could possibly stay in the United States Senate. Now, Kyle, when I say that, does it sound like a conspiracy theory? Mm, I don't know. Not full-blown, I guess, but I mean, it's it, you're still kind of a uh, some, I would say, back-channeling there. Some type of a conspiracy, yeah. What if I told you that there was a United States senator who did exactly what I'm describing? And who would that be? That would be Senator Larry Craig from Idaho. Do you remember Larry Craig? He's kind of famous in this part of the country. He's the guy who got caught in the Minneapolis airport. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Allegedly uh, soliciting. Now that uh, you say that, yeah. Soliciting sex from an undercover officer in, in the in a Minneapolis uh, the Minneapolis airport bathroom. So what what Larry what Senator Craig did is he announced as that scandal broke, he announced his intention to resign. He announced that that he was going to resign. And then later recanted that and ended up staying in the office of finishing his term. Now, he didn't run for re-election, but he kind of did that head fake where he said, well, I'm going to resign, and then everything kind of died down, and then he sort of quietly stayed in office. And the thing about it is is there was actually a voicemail. He, he called somebody, and he left a voicemail on the wrong phone, and he actually talked about it, how he carefully worded his resignation speech to give himself some wiggle room so that if things died down, he could maybe stay on. I think that's what Franken's doing. I think, I think what Franken's doing is he had a very carefully worded speech. He didn't admit to anything. In fact, he's continuing to deny everything. The only thing he's not denying is the picture of him pretending to grope Leanne Tweeden. But that's it. Everything else he's, he's denying. Either, either saying that the flat out it didn't happen or he's saying he, he remembers it differently, denying everything. So he's not admitting to anything. He's denying everything. And then he's not setting a specific time for his resignation. And I think what that does, it gives him some wiggle room. Now, maybe at the end of this timeline, he does end up resigning. I think what he is hoping is, is, is he's hoping that his story gets buried in other stories. Maybe there's more members of Congress that come out with, uh, with scandals. I, I think that's certainly a possibility, given what we've seen so far. I think he's hoping maybe, maybe Roy Moore gets elected to the Senate. And now all of a sudden, if Republicans go to bat to keep Roy Moore in the Senate, which they might, which would be shameful of them, but they might do that. In fact, they probably will do that. And that will be a dark stain on the soul of the Republican Party. That'll be a disgusting maneuver by them. But they may do that. And if they do that, well, then suddenly Democrats don't necessarily need to get rid of Franken. I, I, I think it's going to be interesting. And it'll be interesting to see if 
Dayton, Governor Mark Dayton, is going to be in on this as well because how quickly is he going to name a successor? It's his job to appoint somebody. Is he going to name the person that he intends to appoint before Franken actually resigns? That could put additional pressure on Franken to actually do it, or maybe Dayton's reticent. Maybe Dayton holds off. Maybe Dayton says he doesn't have to name anybody until Franken actually does the deed and actually, in fact, resigns his seat. It's all very interesting, but what happened today was a maneuver. This was not uh, a, a contrite man coming before the public to admit wrongdoing. He didn't admit any wrongdoing. Right? I, I mean, to, to hear Senator Franken tell it in that self-serving, frankly, repugnant speech, and again, you can see it if you missed it, it's the videos at sayanythingblog.com, or I'm sure it's all over the place. What he did today was was self-serving right he, he made it sound like he just got caught up in it right oh, oh i just got caught up and and i wanted to make sure that 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 you know the message of believing women was out there and i'm not you know i didn't want to do anything to take away from that but not taking not taking responsibility for anything that's what happened today what do you think what is franken doing is this a maneuver or do you think he actually intends to resign i think it's a maneuver I think he may eventually resign, but I don't think that's any way of certainty at this point. I think what he's done is he's bought himself some time, weeks, months maybe, depending on how long he could drag it out. And I think he's hoping the story moves on from him. He gets buried in other events, other circumstances change, and maybe he can hold on to that seat. Today was a desperate maneuver by Al Franken to try to stay in power. That's what I think. What do you think? 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port 970, WDY AM 93.1 FM, talking about uh, the resignation of Senator Al Franken. What do you think? Is he actually resigning? I'm not so sure that he is. I think what he did, it was a maneuver. I think he bought himself some time. He didn't say he's resigning today. He says he's resigning at some undefined point in the future, weeks from now, hoping, I think, maybe circumstances change. Maybe he can hold on to the Senate seat. And then there's this tidbit. This comes from Twitter, USA Today reporter Eliza Collins. She was there in the Senate chamber. She says after this, and this is coming after uh, Franken delivered his speech. She says, I quote, many of the female senators who called on him to resign visibly emotional as they hugged him. Okay, so my theory is that this whole thing around Senator Franken from all the calls on him to resign yesterday to his announcement today was a political maneuver orchestrated by Democrats. And so I think what they've done is, is I, I think, honestly, I think Democrats have gotten hoisted by their own petard. After years of the war on women stuff and we believe women and everything else, all of a sudden some of their own got accused. And now they're stuck. Now they've got to live according to the rules that they created. So now Franken's in the hot seat. Meanwhile, Republicans have their own problem, and Roy Moore looming on the horizon coming out of the Alabama special election. 
Democrats want the moral high ground to be able to castigate Republicans for standing behind more. But they can't do that while simultaneously standing behind Al Franken. So what do they do? Franken goes under the bus. But the way they do it leaves him an opportunity to hold on to that Senate seat. And also, by the way, keeps him in the Senate for some pretty key votes coming up in, re- in, in upcoming weeks. And just to prove that a lot of this maybe isn't all that authentic, maybe the, the indignance at his behavior is not quite what we're led to believe, based on the fact that, according, again, to this USA Today reporter on Twitter, many of the female senators, and I'm quoting from her tweet, many of the female senators who called on him to resign visibly emotional as they hug him. If you think the guy's a groper, if you you think the guy is guilty of some sexually inappropriate conduct, do you call on him to resign and then get all teary-eyed and hug him when he doesn't, in fact, resign? When he gets up in front of the Senate and basically denies everything? Because, by the way, that's what he did. He hasn't confessed to anything. Other than the picture. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, let's see, message here from Sean says, I have always felt Franklin is too arrogant to resign, and his announcement today adds to that assessment. Yeah, I mean, you knew it was going to be defiant when he said he was going to be doing when he said he was going to be doing the uh, his his announcement on the floor of the Senate, right? I mean, if you're if you're going to shamefully resign, right? If you're if you're gonna if you're gonna bow out, you send out a press release. What you don't do is go to the floor of the Senate. That's where you go if you want to make a statement. And I think that's what he did. He went there. He denied everything. I mean, really, in some ways, he just sort of, he sort of, you know, I mean, from a certain perspective, he, he sort of just blamed the women. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it, he didn't apologize. It's just, it's, it's remarkable. In, in terms of political maneuvering, it's pretty remarkable. And, you know, I, I think the whole thing was orchestrated by Democrats, and the whole thing was orchestrated because they knew they had to do something before the situation with Roy Moore next week. That was it. I mean, it, it's tough for them to have the moral high ground on Roy Moore when they're standing behind Al Franken. And in a perfect world, Republicans wouldn't stand behind Roy Moore either, by the way. In a perfect world, there wouldn't be any political calculation in this at all. Franken would leave the Senate to be replaced, hopefully, by somebody who doesn't grope people. Roy Moore in a perfect world, Roy Moore wouldn't even be the candidate in Alabama, but he is the candidate. Hopefully he doesn't win. See, now, Rob, I think that he's, I think you're right as that he's buying himself time, correct? But I think he's going to wait and see if Roy Moore gets elected because then he can fight to not resign. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think those are one of the potential. Because if Roy I, I, Moore I, gets elected and Roy Moore's in the Senate, then, and Republicans are standing behind him. Uh, right. And then Al Franken can go, well, Roy Moore's in the Senate, and he's done a lot worse why things should, than I have. So why yeah. why should I resign when you've got 
a pedophile, someone that's in the Senate now. And and that's a, he he mentioned that he brought up Donald Trump. He brought up Roy Moore. Now, what he referenced with Donald Trump and Donald Trump's had other accusations. But what he referenced with Donald Trump was basically that access Hollywood tape. And to me, that's a different thing. Like making a joke like that, as crass as it is, is different than actually groping a woman. Now, Trump has other accusations against him, and we could talk about that. But he did bring those up. He brought up Roy Moore. He brought up Donald Trump. And, frankly, I think he was right to. Republicans got to own those things. And it's it's a tough thing, too, by the way, because all of, all of the stuff with Trump and all of the stuff with Roy Moore came out before their elections. America elected Donald Trump despite what we knew about those accusations, despite what we knew about the Access Hollywood tape. Those things were thoroughly reported before the election, and millions and millions of Americans voted for Donald Trump anyway. They didn't win the popular vote, but enough Americans voted that he won the Electoral College vote, and frankly, that's the one that matters. You know, over, you know, million, tens of millions of people still voted for Donald Trump. If Roy Moore wins that election in Alabama, it will be despite the fact that all of those accusations against him were, again, thoroughly reported. Now, Franken's, uh, everything that came out about Franken came while he was already in office. And now he's stepping down from office. So the situations are different, and it's interesting. And I I guess the question is, would Minnesotans reelect Al Franken based on what they know about him now? Would they vote for him again? You know, you'd like to say no. But, again, Donald Trump won. Roy Moore won. What do you think? 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Uh, we're going to get updates from Jay Thomas. Where is Jay today? Jay is actually at Pub West today. He's at Pub West. All right, Jay Thomas on location at Pub West. We'll get an update from him. And then we'll be back with more of the Rob Report here on 970 WDAY, AM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob. Report 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Kyle, we got a caller? Yes, we do. Roger from Otter Tail County. All right, Roger, what's up? Uh, my theory on this whole Roy Moore thing is uh, he wins the election, gets seated, and uh, they remove him from the Senate, and then the Republican governor of Alabama appoints another Republican. That way they keep the seat. Yeah, I mean, is that how that would all play out? Yeah, I was t- kind of. Because I mean, well, the, the reason the reason Google Alabama they can remove a sitting senator, well, the, the, I mean, the, be like then the Alabama governor who's a Republican, then they would. Uh, but the whole reason there, I mean, the, the whole reason we're holding a special election is to replace a vacant seat. Are you sure the governor appoints? Uh, governor appoints if they're removed. If they're removed, You're right? Well, I don't. I, well, I don't. I don't know that to be the case because we're holding a special Kinda election like, now because uh, there was already the a vac- Minnesota will be appointing. Yeah, but there. It's. I mean, we're already filling a vacancy, and and we're holding. They're holding a special election to do it. Wouldn't right. there be another but then election? Then he'll be seated like uh, Franken seated now. But sessions. And then sessions they'll force him to either resign or remove him. Then the. Then uh, the I don't. I don't. Coming. I don't. I don't think you're right. I don't think that's how that would play okay. out. Well, I think I, there would have to be another I, election. Well, then why isn't Minnesota going to have a special election? Because not because the state for the the process for replacing senators varies from state to state. It's governed by state okay. law. All right, all right. 
Yeah, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. I, I, I mean, I don't know what the replacement process in Alabama is, but they're already holding a special election to replace Sessions. That's what the Roy Moore versus Doug Jones race is about. Um, anyway, that's interesting. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Uh, we're going to switch gears here now. Uh, some news recently and, and over the last sort of 24 hours. Uh, first, there was a story about uh, Republican Senate candidate Tom Campbell uh, banning Pete Teft. Now, Pete's been in the news a lot. Uh, he's a white supremacist, or I, I think he describes himself as a pro-white civil rights activist. I, I Whatever terminology you want to use, I guess. Uh, he was on um, Senator Campbell's social media posting things. Senator Campbell banned him from social media, but then Teft turned around and wrote a letter to the editor of the forum, which was published by the forum, uh, saying, I support Campbell because he's running a pro-white uh, platform. Um he says it's important to me that people stand up and say that there are uh, – basically, he, he goes on and he, he says that, that he's not surprised uh, that, that Campbell uh, banned him from his social media. He doesn't hold it against him. Here with me to talk about all that is the chairman of the North Dakota Republican, Republican Party, State Senator uh, Kelly Armstrong from Dickinson. Uh, Kelly, you just put out a uh, statement about this situation with Mr. Teft. Uh, I'm going to read in part. It says, Mr. Teft, to be perfectly clear, the NDGOP finds your views to be abhorrent. We do not want your support. We do not want your vote. Your five minutes were up a long time ago. The Fargo Forum gave you far more, five more. Those are over now, too. Please go crawl back under a rock. Everyone else have a Merry Christmas. That's Boy, that's pretty direct, Kelly. T- tell us about it. Well, I, I mean, obviously, there's a thousand different things I'd rather be dealing with today. You know, the, the, what we're dealing with in the state and what we're dealing with in the country and moving forward. And you know, Rob, that the NDGOP really doesn't get involved in particular campaigns until after our endorsing convention in April. But the reality of the situation, and quite frankly, under almost any other circumstance, uh, Mr. Teft wouldn't, wouldn't deserve any response. But when it is printed in the largest paper in the state of North Dakota, and it's unfair, fairly characterizing one of the, one of, one of the candidates seeking the NDGOP endorsement, I felt that, I, I just felt there was no other way to deal with it than to deal with it exactly like I did. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, it's I, not a statement; it's a response, which hopefully the forum will print in the next day or two. Yeah. Well, I, I, is is the forum really to blame for? for I mean, Mr. Teff is a citizen. I think I think outlets like the forum pride themselves on providing uh, a place for all viewpoints, even viewpoints we may find disgusting or repugnant. I've had Mr. Teft on this radio show, not because I agree with his point of view, but because he was being talked about. And I think sometimes we do that too much, where we talk to people instead of with them. And while I find his views repugnant as well, I thought it would be useful to at least have a conversation and, and allow him in his own words to say what he believes. Um, I, I, do you really think the forum was that wrong in printing the letter? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to get into whether the forum's right or wrong to print the letter. I'm going to say that when that when a letter like that, which I would call clickbait, gets printed, I am going to respond. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I mean, um, now, yeah, I, no, I mean, I, I mean, would I have done it? I don't know. I've never been in that situation, but I, I mean, I just firmly believe it was. I mean, Mr. Tess obviously a troubled person, and his views are not something uh, either the Campbell campaign. Are the NDGOP supports, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure that letter or uh, are his views bring anything to the public discourse. 
Fair enough. 701-293-9000. Email talk at WDAY.com. Now, what I'm seeing on social media are a lot of people saying, well, this confirms what we've all known about the Republican Party is that they're just a bunch of white supremacists racists um i mean obviously that's an accusation that gets leveled against republicans a lot i think it's unfair i think you know you obviously think it's unfair but uh, you know why do you think it is mr teft is choosing republicans you know to, to support I have no idea what's going on in Mr. Teft's mind. I can tell you that there are serious policy disagreements on immigration reform uh, and various issues, and the less classic tact in any issue that is it, that addresses any of those types of issues is, is race-baiting and immediately to scream racism, when that is absolutely not the case. There are serious policy issues to discuss, and I mean, primarily with, I, I would say, the national one of the most interest right now is immigration reform and um, how we're dealing with those issues. And they aren't racist. They're public policy. They're important for the future security of the country. And to to de- <clears throat> to, de- to generalize those things as racist and to take it to the lowest common denominator does not serve the public's interest in any way. Uh- Certainly, obviously. Now, you said normally you wouldn't get involved in this. I mean, the, the NDGOP were, were probably, I mean, I, I want to say it's going to be a competitive primary, although at this point, Mr. Campbell's the only candidate in the race. But until the party makes an endorsement at the convention, generally, you guys are pretty neutral, other than just being supportive of all Republican candidates generally. Um, you guys usually stay pretty neutral in this race, but you felt this situation was something you had to intervene in? Yes, absolutely. This is an unwarranted. I mean, Tom Campbell's running a good campaign. He's a good man. He's trying to do what's good for North Dakota. Uh, and like I said, we don't endorse until after the convention. But at the same time, I'm going to protect my guys when unfair and completely unfounded accusations get thrown out against them, even if it was col- even if it was covered, colored in the uh, colored in some aim of aim of support. Yeah, do you think that this is because we've seen this play out in other places where? Like David Duke, for instance, it seems like he gets in the headlines every election cycle for endorsing this or that candidate. Um, do you think that these these members of these – is this a tactic? Is, is this a way for them to maybe insert themselves and, and get attention? I, I think you hit the nail right on the head. This is all about getting attention. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know this for certain, but I'm, a, I'm fairly certain that Mr. Teff's uh, constituency is a constituency of one. <laughs> You call uh, in, in in your statement that you put out. You lead with a definition of clickbait. Is that what you're saying? The forum did was they printed the letter as as clickbait. I think the la- I, I I mean what they print. I don't you know they they print a lot, and I'm glad they print a lot, and I'm glad they don't filter things. That's not necessarily the point. I think the letter is clickbait. Absolutely, that forum didn't write it. Right, but they printed it. So yeah, I mean I think the but letter it's... in and of itself is clickbait. I think it fits the exact definition of what it is. I think that's probably fair. Well, certainly an interesting uh, situation. And, and again, I think anybody saying that that Tom Campbell, uh, who I think is a nice guy, and I've been critical of Campbell. I've been critical of his campaign. I've been critical of some of his policy positions as a state lawmaker. Uh, I'm certainly not in the bag for Tom Campbell. But anybody calling the guy uh, a racist or, or suggesting that uh, you know his his policies are are, are racist or, or anything like that is out of their minds uh he's a nice absolutely. man he's Nothing not a racist from the truth. right Nothing he is not a racist from the truth. absolutely 100 percent. all right kelly thanks for your time appreciate it you bet north Dakota republican party chairman kelly arms kelly armstrong talking about the situation with uh pete teft uh who 
you know, got himself some more attention, I guess, on social media out there claiming to support Tom Campbell. And, and again, I, I think we've seen this in other races where white supremacists come out, they, they endorse this or that candidate, they get their name in the headlines, and ultimately attention is what they want. More to come. We're going to another, get another update from Jay Thomas, who's out at Pub West. And then we'll be back, wrap up the first hour of the Rob Report here on 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDY.com. We kind of had to shoehorn in uh, Mr. Armstrong. Uh, I had I had looked around for a guest earlier in the day. He just let me know last but during the show, uh, during the segment before his, that he could come on the show. Because I, I did want to talk about this situation with, with Pete Teft and, you know, endorsing Tom Campbell and, I you know, I think the usual sort of political opportunists are going to out there drooling all over this thing. But, I mean, but point to me, which, I mean, if, if we want to say that Tom Campbell has some appeal to white supremacists, okay, t- tell me what policies it is that Campbell supports that are racist. I mean, let's have a debate about the specific policies, the specific proposals. Because otherwise, what I see is is Mr. Teft, uh, who I, I, I think does absolutely want to bring attention to himself and his cause, I think this is a way for him to get some headlines. And, you know, Campbell banning him from his social media account, you know, that got some headlines. And then Teff followed up with a letter to the editor. Uh, that got him some more attention. Um, you know, Armstrong making it unequivocal. Republicans don't want Teff's support. They don't agree with his worldview. That's that. Now, that being said, I've seen a lot of my Republican friends being critical of the Fargo Forum today for publishing that letter. I think the forum is right to publish it. I've had Teft on this program, and I think that's because I, I I think I think if we marginalize those people, right? I I think a lot of times bigotry and hatred come from feelings of marginalization. I think they come from feelings of of isolation, whether they're 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 right or not. That's how those people perceive the world. They perceive themselves as being marginalized. They perceive themselves even as being martyred. And so in that, I I think it's valuable to try to at least talk to them sometimes. Now, I don't think we need to fall for every one of their publicity stunts. I don't think we need to give them all the attention that they demand. But I do think that sometimes it's worth talking to them. Sometimes it's worth making them put on the table what they actually believe. And so if Mr. Teff wants to write a letter to the editor, I think it's appropriate, depending on circumstances, to to publish it. I don't think the forum did anything wrong at all in publishing his letter. Just as I don't think I got criticism for having Teft on my radio program. On this program right here, I got criticized for that. I don't think I did anything wrong. Because he was all over the headlines. He was planning a rally. This was shortly after the, the violence in Charlottesville. Teft was talking about possibly having a rally here in Fargo. I wanted to talk to him about it. And frankly, I think that's we need more of that sometimes. I, I, I think we need to engage. Sit down and talk with them. I, I was There's a great documentary, and I've mentioned it before, and, and this is what sort of drives my position on this. It's called Accidental Courtesy. 
Uh, and it's a it's a documentary about a blues musician who is an African American man who has collected Ku Klux Klan robes that he's he's gotten from members of the Klan as gifts over the years. Now the way he's getting them as gifts is he is sitting down and talking to these Klan members and saying, "You don't know me as a person. I'm a person. I'm a nice guy." And he gets to know them. He befriends them. He's gone to some of their weddings. He's gone to their family events. He socializes with them. He plays music with them. He becomes their friends, and then ultimately they renounce their hatred. Now, maybe that's a Pollyannish thing to believe, that we could solve those sorts of divides, solve that sort of anger by just talking to one another. But it's worth trying. It's worth discussing. I think it's better than just assuming we know everything about these other people and know everything that they stand for. Sometimes they're worth listening to. Not because we're going to agree with them, but because sometimes if they're just given an opportunity to express their points, if if they feel like they're part of the conversation, then maybe they don't feel so isolated. Maybe they don't feel so marginalized, and maybe they don't hate so much. Maybe. I don't know. I don't want to be manipulated by anybody else. I, I don't want white supremacists and hateful bigots to, to, to necessarily be able to use me as a platform. I'm not going to give them a platform. But I will talk with them. Because talking at them, talking about them without ever engaging with them, I don't think that's entirely useful either. There's got to be a medium ground. So anyway, I don't think the forum did anything wrong. And anyone out there who's saying that Tom Campbell is a racist doesn't know anything about Tom Campbell. And I say that as somebody who's been plenty critical of Tom Campbell. I say that as somebody who thinks that Tom Campbell is probably not the best candidate for Republicans going up against Heidi Heitkamp. I think they could do better. I've been plenty critical of Tom Campbell. But he ain't a racist. He's not a white supremacist. Nothing could be further from the truth. I think this is, uh, I think this, I think Pete Teft was writing some wild things on social media. It got him some attention. He followed up with a letter to the editor. He gets another five minutes of fame. That's what I think is going on here. And the usual, you know, lowbrow, shallow political commentators pick up on this sort of thing and they throw it around. Whatever. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Bill Prentice, CEO of Meridian Energy, is going to join me in the next segment. We're going to talk about the Davis Refinery out near Theodore Roosevelt National Park. You've probably heard a little bit about this in the past. Its proximity to the National Park has drawn some concern now there has been a draft permit issued from the North Dakota Department of Health. There are going to be public hearings. You're probably going to be hearing a lot more about this particular refinery. I think it, it could potentially become national news because Theodore Roosevelt National Park is a beautiful place. North Dakotans and Americans in general have an interest in protecting it, have an interest in making sure that any development which happens around it is responsible. So we're going to talk to the CEO of Meridian Energy about that Next, right here on the Rob Report on 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDY.com. 
Meridian Energy Group Incorporated. They are the leading developer of an oil refining uh, facility in uh, southwestern North Dakota. It's going to be near Theodore Roosevelt National Park, and that proximity has drawn, well, a lot of criticism. Anyway, the project just got a draft permit uh, to construct the uh, refinery from the North Dakota Department of Health's Air Quality Division. Uh, Now, after that, there's going to be public comment. I have a feeling that public comment's probably going to stir a lot of public debate, as well it should. Here to talk with me about the whole thing is Meridian CEO Bill Prentice. Mr. Prentice, welcome to the program. Thank you, Rob. Glad to be here. Pleasure to have you on. Tell us about your project. Well, the project started about four years ago uh, with a family that had come from North Dakota that wanted to create some additional opportunity for employment in the area. Uh, They decided on the site near Belfield, and I came on shortly thereafter and started the engineering work and putting together the permitting for the project. Um, That has all culminated in this uh, draft PTC from the health department, which is a major milestone for facilities such as this. Now, we're at the phase where there is a, and I think a lot of people get confused on on the process on this. Can you give us maybe sort of an overall view of, of where the, the refinery is at in its approval process? Now, I understand we did get that draft permit from the Department of Health. There's going to be public hearings. What does the timeline look like to, to the point where, where you folks actually start building this thing and it gets completed and starts processing? Well, this is the last permit um, in a, a long list of permits that we've been required to get before we can begin construction. The two major permits are the county use permit, uh, which we obtained in July of 2016. And for over a year now, we've been working with the health department on this one. Um, the draft permit begins a public comment period of 45 days that is over on the 26th of January. Uh, Once the health department has had a chance to work through all the comments received and we've had a chance to respond to anything that relates to the engineering, uh, the final permit will be be awarded uh, based on the results of that final analysis. Uh, If that occurs sometime in February, uh, we will be in construction as soon as weather permits, maybe as early as March. Um, The project will employ about Oh, four to 500 people during construction, and we'll have permanent employment of about 200 people thereafter. Um, you know, the initial phase of the plant will be in operation starting, uh, let's say, February of 2019. One thing, and by the way, if anybody wants to join the program, 701-293-9000, email talk at wday.com, talking to Meridian Energy Group uh, CEO, Bill Prentice about the Davis refinery to be built in southwestern North Dakota. You're going to be hearing, I think, a lot about this project in the coming weeks. One criticism, and, and by the way, I, I support this project. I think it's going to be great for North Dakota industry. I, I think it's going to be wonderful. One criticism I hear from people is that there's a risk that the refinery is going to get built and you know the bottom is going to fall out of the oil market in the state uh, and it's going to end up being abandoned or shut down, and now we're going to have an eyesore sitting on the countryside. Now, I... Can you respond to some of that criticism? I mean, how, how sustainable is that? Because we, we did just come through a, you know, a period where prices fell, 
in, in, in the oil world, we saw production, or not production, but drilling activity in the state of North Dakota fall off, and production fell off too, somewhat, uh, somewhat less. Uh, can you tell us how, how resilient is this to, to, to what, to, to, you know, the, the vagaries of what is a very volatile petroleum market? Well, this project um, began during the oil price uh, crisis uh, of a couple of years ago. Um, we are going to have this, this plant for many, many years in this area. The price of oil is going to go up and down during that period. Uh, we don't care. Uh, regardless of the market conditions, we know that we can get Bakken oil at a good price and that we can produce very valuable fuel products and lubricants and so forth and put them into the market at a profit. Uh, we're not concerned about that. Uh, Bakken oil comes out of the ground uh, is one of the best crudes that you can possibly put into a refinery. And we're content to be there and we will run that plant using Bakken crude for the foreseeable future. Uh, just speaking in general, I, you know, I, would, I don't know of any refineries that are just sitting around uh, unoperable because of just general market conditions. Uh, they are badly needed resources in this economy, and the capacity of the uh, well, the the refining industry in this country is operating at about 96 to 97 percent capacity right now, and that's not sustainable in an industry where all the assets are you know 50, 60 years old. How, how much one discussion that we have in North Dakota a lot because one disadvantage that our oil producers have run up against is is the lack of transport capacity out of the state. That's why the Dakota Access Pipeline was such a very important piece of infrastructure. Uh, that's why we've done so much work on rail safety because we saw a big uh, uptick in the number of rail shipments. Getting, you know, having the capacity to deal with all the oil that we're bringing up out of the ground is a big deal in North Dakota. Tell us, what, like, what's the impact of, of your refinery on that issue, uh, you know how how many you know how many barrels per day can, can you guys process? Uh, what happens to that stuff after it's processed? Do you put it in a pipeline? Do you put it on trucks? How, how does it get out of the state? T tell us a little bit about that process. Well, first of all, this is a common problem in, a, in an economy like North Dakota's, where otherwise you have to worry about commodities that you have to get out. Uh, grain, for instance, uh, grain processing has to be expanded in North Dakota, and North Dakota has done a good job of that. Oil is another example. It needs more processing capacity in North Dakota. Right now, you ship a lot of crude out. Very little of it gets converted into useful products here in the state and, and used in the state and in surrounding areas, and that's what we need to change. Um, we're going to be at around 50,000 barrels per day, a little bit below to start with. Um, you know, the project is, is, represents a very small fraction of the total production in North Dakota, which is well over a million barrels a day now, but it's a start. Um, you know, right now we're, we're probably going to get all of our crude oil by pipeline, which is by far the safest and most economical way. We're going to have products going out to local uh, users, distributors, and, and retailers uh, by truck. Uh, we're going to ship some products out by rail. Uh, we are, before the uh, second phase of our construction is done, also have pipeline connections out to various markets. So it'll be a combination of product deliveries, but 
you know, the industry prefers pipeline because it's less costly and, and the safety issues are much uh, better protected then. All right, let's talk about because the, the reason why I think your project gets a lot of attention is its proximity to Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Now, there have been people who have claimed that it's going to ruin, you know, the, the, some of the wonderful vistas we have from that park. I mean, I, I think we can all agree Theodore Roosevelt National Park is an absolute treasure. It's a beautiful place, and it should be protected. But there are people who say that building your project uh, really what's miles away from, from the even the edge of, of the park, but they're saying that that's going to impact the park in a negative way and, and ruin the experience there. Can you address that? Sure. And I, you know, the Theodore Roosevelt National Park is a treasure. Um, I enjoy it. My wife grew up in South Dakota. She's been there several times. Um, we have taken many steps to ensure that you cannot see the plant, you cannot smell the plant, you cannot hear the refinery from the National Park. We've proven that conclusively. Uh, there was a concern early on that cooling tower mist, which is uh, something that uh, the refinery in Mandan has been um, you know, faulted for in the past, would be an issue with our facility. We've entirely eliminated cooling towers from our refinery. It's all air cooling. Um, this is not going to be an eyesore. This is not going to be your grandfather's refinery. We have, uh, we have made this refinery the first one in history that will be permitted as a minor source. And the fact is that there's been so much technology developed over the last 40, 50 years, and none of it has been put into play in one spot at one time for a single refinery. And it's going to be a different type of plant than the industry has ever seen. I don't blame people for being worried about an old refinery if you were to plop it down right next to the national park. And I would, I would never try to do that. But the industry has to learn how to build things that can be put anywhere. We have to come to grips with the new reality of environmental regulation in this country. And that's what we are trying to show can be done. Um, in the future, having a refinery nearby should be no more contentious than having a dry cleaner or a Taco Bell go in. Um, the technology is there to control emissions, and that's what we're going to do. Now, you know, visual impact is something that we're sensitive to, not from the park, because we've, we've already taken care of that, but nearby. So we've acquired quite a bit of property so that we can put an extensive ag and natural barrier around the plant. And I think even the residents of Belfield, which is the nearest community, are going to be pleased with that result. Well, I think so. I, I think you folks are doing it the right way. I think we all want to protect Theodore Roosevelt National Park. We all want to protect our state and its natural resources. Uh, and I think you guys are doing it the right way. It's going to be a wonderful addition to our energy infrastructure in the state. Uh, and I, I frankly can't wait till it gets uh, built because it's going to be great for our economy. It's going to be great for one of our most important industries. I think it's a win all the way around. Mr. Prentice, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's Bill Prentice, CEO of Meridian Energy. I'm Rob Port. We're going to go to a break, and then we'll come right back. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDYAM, 93.1 FM. We're talking about, you know, Al Franken, Roy Moore, all that crap. We were talking about it earlier in the program. 
I uh, got some emails I want to work through here. Uh, first of all, we had a caller who uh, was saying that if if more if more gets if he gets elected and then he gets expelled from the Senate, that the Republican governor of Alabama would appoint his replacement. I wasn't so sure because obviously, I mean, the reason we're having a special election was already to uh, to replace a vacancy that happened when Jeff Sessions uh, was was uh, joined the Trump administration as as Attorney General. Now. Uh, Eric actually found an article, uh, and it, it sounds like from that uh, we would have the, the governor. The governor would appoint. Now I, I don't know why there's a difference between the two situations. Maybe it's a timing thing. I know sometimes I think in North Dakota law, if you're X number of days out, the governor appoints. But if it's closer than that, then we have an election. So I I, I don't know, but apparently the answer is the governor would appoint. If Roy Moore gets elected in the special election, and then the Senate expels him, the governor appoints. And maybe that's a maybe that's a path forward for Republicans. I don't know. Uh, we were also talking about the the situation. I I pointed out that with Donald Trump, it was a tape of him making comments as opposed to a specific accusation that he had done something. Dwayne emailed, but in the Access Hollywood tape, Trump says he did those things. We no longer have the burden of proof with an admission of guilt. Yeah, I, I mean. I don't know. Did he do those things or was he joking? I mean, I, I think that's the problem. And I'm, I say that like I, I hate I'm not defending Trump. I'm just pointing out that there are distinct differences, uh, but I'm not defending Trump. Uh, let's see another emailer. I lean more to the right side and I, I lean more on the right side. And I agree with you, Rob. I think it is all a complete Democratic setup. Talking about Franken's resignation. Uh, email continues. Al Franken is not going to resign. Uh, and besides the infamous photo, nothing is per nothing is pertinent true. Uh, before he was a U.S. senator, he was a party guy. I think a lot of people forget how the innocent until proven guilty system works. Now, if you want to get someone relieved of their position, just make a false claim of groping, uh, such as the latest of Al Franken putting his arm around a lady uh, for a photo and grabbing a handful of fr- flesh at her waist and squeezing it twice. Come on, lady, really? It was probably just a hey, how you doing? One armed hug. Yes, I can't stand Al Franken, and he should have called out Bill Clinton because it's proven actions. Uh, Press Trump and more, purely accusation. Yeah. I mean, this is a mess. Is There are so many accusations around, and, you know, the tribalism thing sort of breaks down. Because normally, you know, if it's a Democrat accused, the Democrats circle the wagons, and the Republicans get out the pitchforks and por- torches. And if it's a Republican, then vice versa. But now it's like if, if you support Franken going down, then you don't have a lot of wiggle room on Roy Moore. And as far as I'm concerned, Roy Moore shouldn't be in the United States Senate. Al Franken shouldn't be in the United States Senate. And by the way, Al Franken, as I said at the beginning of the program, hasn't actually resigned yet. He said he's going to at some point in the future on a completely undefined timeline. I think what he's hoping is is something happens. I think he's hoping, you know, Roy Moore gets elected to the Senate and maybe Republicans rally around him, in which case Franken can come back and say, why should I step down when Roy Moore's in the Senate? And you know what? He'll have a point. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Another email, Brad. Uh, Rob, how weak or scary is the Democratic platform that a scumbag like Roy Moore might actually win? Yeah, you know, that's... That, I think, is a fair question, and that, I think, is something that should cause our liberal friends to pause and, and reflect for a moment. Because how, how alienated 
do red state voters feel by Democrats? How just absolutely repugnant do red state voters find the Democratic platform that somebody like Roy Moore, with everything against him, and again, the accusations against him are credible, they've been thoroughly reported, how bad must the Democrats be that that, that can still beat them? Yeah, pretty bad. And, and again, I, I think that speaks to the disconnect between liberal liberal voters who, who really have a platform of ideas and policies that appeal geographically to a relatively small sliver of the country. Coastal and urban areas. You get out out you get outside of coastal and urban areas and the popularity of the democratic platform, the progressive left-wing platform drops precipitously. Republicans dominate rural areas of the country overwhelmingly. And they even manage to hold on to some urban areas too. Donald Trump won overwhelmingly in rural America. If Democrats could figure out how to bridge that gap, they'd be cooking with gas. The problem is, I don't know how they bridge it. I don't think they know it either. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with a rundown after this. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. The Rob Report. The Rob Report. On 970 WDAY. The Rundown. All right, Kyle, let's take a stroll through the headlines. All right. First one up here, female police captain. In Indiana, suspended after white male privilege remark. So an Indiana police force placed a female captain on paid administrative leave after she told a fellow officer he benefited from white male privilege. Good. Yeah, I think it's appropriate. I'm not sure she deserves to be fired, but, you know, the problem with comments like that is that is as insulting as assuming somebody... We shouldn't assume things about people based on their gender or their skin color, right? I, I mean, you shouldn't. I don't think it's any more fair to look at a white man and assume that he's lived a life of privilege than it is to look at a black man and assume that he was raised in the ghetto by a single mother uh, and likes hip-hop music. Like, that's that's right. not fair. Those are stereotypes. That's not fair. We're all, we're all individuals. We all have our life stories. Uh, and, and it's just not fair on an individual level. That's not fair to make those sorts of assumptions about people based on their skin color or gender. It's just not. And it's a great opportunity to actually educate this off this captain on, on how to act. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about how generally, yes, men have been at the top of the heat and generally, yes, white men have been on, on the top of the heat in the aggregate, but that's not what this situation is. That's not what we're talking about. She was making a specific remark about a specific individual making an assumption based on his skin color and his gender, uh, and that's that's not fair. You, you shouldn't do that. That's inappropriate. That's not how we should talk to one another. So, good. I'm glad that happened. I think that's good. All, All right, right. What's next? Next up, universities strive for Christmas-free campuses. Uh, as, oh, another cri- <laughs> as another Christmas <laughs> season year. approaches... Colleges across the country are issuing their annual guidelines on how to make the season as inclusive as possible. For example, you've got uh, you've got the State University of New York 
They've uh, actually issued similar guidelines saying culturally sensitive holiday decorations. Um, they have to be considered in a grab bag instead of a secret Santa gift exchange. And you have, you have to actually yeah. have uh, University of California also. Uh, they had they said they are encouraged to focus on celebrating a special occasion instead of a specific holiday. So it's yeah. got to be I, I more like inclusive it. than yeah. directly at Christmas. I, I like it when we try to be more inclusive by excluding things. I think that's I think that just makes tons and tons of sense. I, I don't get if, if your if your goal is inclusiveness, then you don't drive Christmas off the campus. What you do is you invite other points of view on that holiday onto the campus, right? Because there's other, you know, there's Hanukkah and there's Kwanzaa, I guess, and there's other. I'm, I'm now I'm running at, at the top of my head, but but you know what I mean? I mean, you you invite more and, and not even just like like christmas time celebrations you invite more celebrations onto the campus right that's that's inclusive is inviting it all into the public square all the different viewpoints all the religious beliefs what's not inclusive is saying oh no we can't mention christmas and we can't have christmas themed events or, or anything like that that's wrong right if you want to be inclusive then treat them all the same christmas is a big thing in america because most people in america are christian it's a big, big American tradition. We go all out for it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with recognizing that as long as you make room for other points of view. As long as you make room. That's inclusiveness. What they're doing is not inclusiveness. That's exclusiveness. And that's not. It's, it's completely stupid. Right. Or if you can, or you can celebrate Krampus. I mean, that's, that's also that. fun. Or Festivus. <laughs> right. I'm an atheist. I love Christmas. I think it's great. It's a lot of fun. Christmas um, is great. You know. I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a religious person at all, and so you know that aspect of it doesn't hold a lot of appeal to me. But I like getting together with my family. I like you know having meals with my family, having fun time with my family, giving gifts to one another, being nice to one another, taking that time off to be with one another. I enjoy all that. I think it's great. So I don't know. I don't know. No more excluding things in the name of inclusiveness. If if, if don't call it inclusiveness, call it what what it is, which is basically, frankly, censorship. So. Right. All right, let's keep going. All right, sensitive Santa to appear Sunday in Williston. All right, so children sensitive who might not Santa. respond well to the long wait line, music, noises that often accompany a traditional visit with Santa are invited to a toned-down event Sunday in Williston. Uh, the sensitive Santa is geared toward children with autism, sensory processing disorder, ADHD, and other sensory concerns, uh, but all kids are welcome. I have never heard of this before. This must be a new thing. I've never heard of a sen sensitive Santa before. I have I have heard of um, children with um, autism and sensory processing disorders and ADHD and things like that. And I know that uh, putting them in the environment that you normally would go to at like a mall with all the music and the people and everything, they just yeah. they can, can get oh, they can get completely overwhelmed, and it's not a good experience for them. I think this it, is it a can, great it idea. It can be overwhelmed. It can be overwhelming for kids who don't suffer from those things. Absolutely. So that's I, I think that's a great thing. What a positive thing. I I guess it had never dawned on me. I have seen plenty of kids have apparently traumatic experiences getting their picture taken with the store Santa <laughs> to the point where my family doesn't do it anymore. I mean, it's just you stand in line forever. Kids are screaming. Parents are basically, listen, if you have to force your kid to go sit on Santa's lap, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Right. Right. If you have to drag them kicking and yep. screaming onto the podium and then, you know, yell at them to try to get them to stop crying I mean, that that's just not what, what are you accomplishing at that point and that's really a memory that you want to keep 
Is your kid sitting on a stranger's lap dressed up as Santa looking traumatized? That's great holiday memories. And what a Don't job, to too, to, to be Santa at, like, oh a mall. God. Could you imagine? Oh, you could not pay me enough to do it. <laughs> I even have the body type for it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> All right, what's what's next? All right, Toyota's new power plant will create clean energy from manure. So Japanese automobile giant Toyota is making some exciting moves in the realm of renewable clean energy. The company is planning to build a power plant in California that turns the methane gas produced by cow manure into water, electricity, and hydrogen. You know, the thing about these, I mean, it's, it's great. I, I think it's great when we discover these things. I think it's great that we're doing... This research and finding alternatives and finding better ways to do things, I, I think it's all wonderful. I always think it's interesting, though, when this comes out and it's it's something like, oh, we can run ga- cars off vegetable oil. Or, oh, you know, we, we can run cars off manure or whatever it is we're doing. And I'm thinking about that like, okay, that's great. How in the world are we going to scale that? I mean, you think we produce enough, like, vegetable oil in this country to power all the cars? Not like- vegetable oil, but I... I'm willing to bet there's a lot of manure out there. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of a lot of manure that accumulates in Washington DC of the figurative sort, unfortunately. If hot air if hot air could power cars, boy, we would have a we'd have an unending we just hook it up to the politicians. Absolutely. Put a mask over them, they could blow great. their hot air into tanks, we could hook those tanks up, power the uh could just have power of the nation. Energy, just yeah. pure energy from that hot air. That'd be great. Yeah. It does never I, have I don't to worry know. about the power grid going down. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's you know, like oh, we're gonna we're gonna have cars that run off corn-based ethanol. We would have to clear-cut forests and displace just about every other crop in the United States to grow enough corn to power all the cars. Like that's just not that doesn't make any sense. All right, let's wrap it up. And that's the rundown. Welcome back, Rob. Report 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM 701 293 9000 888 Email talk at WDY.com. Uh, in, in everybody's correcting me now on the Alabama Senate race with if, what happens if Roy Moore uh, gets expelled. And apparently, uh, Eric Johnson corrected me and, and got me on the right path. Uh, the governor appoints. And then I was wondering, well, why it is, why would the governor appoint in that instance when we're already holding a special election to replace uh, Jeff Sessions? Uh, and an emailer says, Luther Strange was appointed by the Alabama governor in February to replace Senator Sessions. Then a new election had to be done. Moore beat Strange in the primary and will face Jones on December 12th to fill the Senate seat until 2020. That's from David Moorhead. So there we go. That's the timeline for all of that. And uh, I don't know. Moore shouldn't be in the Senate. That's that's what I know. I don't think Al Franken should be in the Senate. But I think Democrats are playing a game with Al Franken. Um, I don't think it was any, like, just coincidence that all the Democrats this week decided to come out. Dozens of Democrats in the Senate decided to come out and call for him to resign. I don't think that just happens. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that they needed the moral high ground on Roy Moore. And... They had to they had to abandon their support for Al Franken. Seven accusers in, right? It's hard to say we believe the women when you're not doing anything until the seventh accuser comes out. Good job. It's it's interesting because you can look at it on one side and say that 
Yes, the, uh, the they they're they're doing this with Al Franken to get that moral high ground to get that Democrat to beat Roy Moore, but then at the same time, I think you have you could go as far to say that on the Republican side that they are trying to get Roy Moore elected because they know he's going to get ousted, and then they can have the governor appoint a new Republican for that seat. So yeah, they win because fair. they know that a Republican is going to be in that seat regardless. They're going to go, they're going to put their morals to the side just a little bit and get Roy Moore elected because then they know that he's going to get ousted. And then they can they can put another Republican in that seat rather than having a Democrat win against Roy Moore. That, I, I think that's fair. I think there I think I think there are Republicans out there who are absolutely making that calculation. Um, I think that's why some Republicans have been hesitant, why they've been holding off on Al Franken a little bit, because. You know, and, and some of those Republicans are people who are still backing Roy Moore, saying let's elect Roy Moore. Well, it's tough to say let's elect Roy Moore, but let's get Al Franken out of the Senate. You can't hold both of those positions without being a hypocrite. And, and to me, I'd like to just stop all the calculation. I'd like to just stop all the maneuvering. Just, just remove. You know, Al Franken should step down. Roy Moore should not be in the United States Senate if he gets elected. He should be expelled. We should start that process over. But what this, do you think about this? And I think at uh, this point, though, I think it's well, I think it is it is too late for them to uh, get someone to replace Roy Moore. And that's why they might be doing this. Yeah. Uh, this doesn't really apply to the Alabama situation or the Minnesota situation, because I think in both places, it's unlikely either of those seats are going to end up. Sw- I mean, unless Doug Jones wins in Alabama, I guess it seems unlikely that either of those seats are going to change party hands. But. Some states have a law which require that if there's an appointment to replace a vacancy, that the appointment has to come from the same political party. And I'm I'm starting to think that that's maybe not such a good I, – I, I think that is probably a good law. And I'm wondering if that should maybe proliferate to more states so we have an easier job of getting rid of some of these creeps where we don't have, you know, re, you know doing that calculation like, well – should we ask him to resign because it's a Republican and the governor is a Democrat and we don't want to, you know, put a dem, you know, the Democrat governor is going to appoint a Democratic replacement. Well, what if that Democratic governor had to pick a Republican, right? Had to pick somebody from the same party. Or what if you took it out of the hands of the governor entirely and, you know, like had it like the political party picks the replacement, something like that. I, I what I, the benefit in that, I think, is that, you remove some of the, you, it makes it easier maybe to get some of the creeps out and, and you remove some of the partisan gamesmanship from around that decision-making, you know, because unfortunately it's everywhere. I, I, I think Kyle, I think you're absolutely right about the calculation that calculations that Republicans are, are at least some Republicans probably are making about Roy Moore. Uh, and I think I'm right that w- what Democrats are doing with Al Franken, because I think it's going to be tough for, for Democrats to take a hard line on Roy Moore when they got Al Franken hanging around. Although, honestly, they're still going to have him ha- hanging around because you know what? He didn't resign today. He said he's going to resign down the road at some point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only way this is, if, if the Democrats are having Al Franken, you know, stick around for the time being until someone gets elected in Alabama, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's not just that because he said I don't, know what their, I don't know what their end game is. Because well, what's the end game? Roy Moore gets elected. He gets, he gets, you know, he has to resign. He gets taken out. 
and then another Republican, but gets put in that position. I, I don't well, see. It's not just. It's, it's not just what their end game is. Is is rhetorically, you can't come back on them and say, "Well, what about Al Franken?" They could say, "Well, Al Franken resigned," although he didn't. They could say, "Well, he's he's resigned. He's on his way out." So that's a moot point. Now they've neutralized that as a talking point, so that if Roy Moore gets elected, they could grandstand on it, even if ultimately they can't create a situation where that seat becomes their seat. They could still grandstand on it, and they could still reap the benef- political benefit of that, and not have Al Franken right. as a problem on their plate. The other thing, though, too, is we're going to have another vote on the tax reform, right? That's going to come back from reconciliation and probably require another Senate vote. We have some of the end of year stuff, the continuing resolutions on funding the government. Those votes are coming up. There are a lot of votes that they're still going to want Franken hanging around for. That, uh, or you, you know, could possibly say that he doesn't. He won't. Full, he could. He could hold them hostage basically by saying he's not going to resign, Al Franken, unless right. there's an ethics committee that goes after the president. I, 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 I think. I think, you know? I think there's. A, I think there's a lot of different ways it could go. I don't know that Democrats and or Franken have a roadmap going ahead. I think what he did today was bought himself weeks of time, where things can change. Maybe the political calculus looks different. Right, he where many scenarios could actually play out. Yeah. Today was not about him taking accountability at all. There was no accountability there at all. He's still Which denying everything, Which is and he's not bad. actually resigning. There was actually, I saw, and I've, I have lost the tweet now, but there was a CNN reporter who tweeted out, she spoke with that first accuser, and I'm forgetting her name now, but the first lady who accused him of groping her at the Minnesota State Fair back in, what was it, 2010? Uh, she was saying she was disappointed in Franken's speech today. She was disappointed that he continues to deny the allegations, you know. And really, he didn't use the word liar, but he said that that many of the accusations against him are untrue, which is basically he's calling the women a liar. So I don't, you know, I don't know. It's unfortunate. I, I thought that was entirely self-serving. There's a lot of political calculation going on if you read between the lines. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. State Representative Kathy Hogan is going to be on with me tomorrow. She wants changes to North Dakota's sexual harassment policies. We'll talk with her about that tomorrow. You can always catch me here 12 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday on 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.